Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast, episode 29 I'm your host, Peter Galindo No Brian Birdie today, he had some last minute commitments to take care of So it is just myself and the returning Christopher Viscardo. Christopher, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty good. For those that are watching uh, and for those that will be listening in the future, I am wearing my Germany jersey, the away jersey from this World Cup. Uh, first of all, because it was really cheap because nobody wants them anymore, right? <laughs> They're no longer a bandwagon team. And second of all, because I think that in, in more ways than one, Germany today is probably symbolic of the exact opposite of what Peru is right now. And that's something that we're probably going to go into here in a second. But re really, really, I mean, things things have taken a turn for the worse, looks like, in Peru. Maybe in a lot of ways they are similar because both federations are in a few dire straits for different reasons, different scandals. One having to do with racism, one having to do with basically who even knows. So that's why we're actually here, because we're trying to break this down. Um, the Evan Oviedo scandal. This is pretty much the hot topic in Peruvian football right now. Not in the least of which because Ricardo Gareca lands in Lima on Thursday to have his meeting with Juan Carlos Olitas, the sporting director, to negotiate an extension. Now, uh, David Hidalgo of El Comercio, as well as a couple of other reputable journalists as well, have all reported that Gareca's priority is to stay with Peru for the 2022 cycle. That still hasn't stopped all these audios involving Evan Oviedo, uh, Antonio Camayo, and Cesar Inostrosa from being linked, or from being leaked, excuse me. And the latest of these audios actually has Oviedo organizing a meeting with Inostrosa to pick up Inostrosa's credentials to the World Cup, which is kind of why this whole thing has started. If, if you aren't really well aware of the details, literally just Google Evan Oviedo. You'll see a, a ton of stories come up on Google and you can just read them from there. Um, but Christopher, you have not been on the show for a couple of weeks as this story has progressed and seemingly gotten worse. Um, your general thoughts on this are what before we kind of delve into okay. certain topics? Okay. So, I mean, I, I think you've done a, uh, uh, a good a good summary there of uh, what's been the scandal so far i think i'm gonna probably give a few more details as i go through my train of thought and what i what my thoughts are um regarding uh, the the events of the last few weeks first of all as we know before oviedo was in soccer before he was part of the fa and even before he was a club president for juan Aurich in chicago Chiclayo, <laughs> he was uh, he was uh, an important businessman, right? Who has been linked to a mafia scandal of um, looks like it was a cartel of some kind, mm -hmm. and it seems like there was also uh, he seems to be accused of uh, participating or or ordering uh, that certain people uh, be murdered. Uh, which are huge, huge yeah. accusations. And this came out literally like, I want to say a year ago almost, that, mm -hmm. that this was brought forth. 
But literally, we were all worrying so much about the fact that we had to face Argentina that, like, none of us paid attention whatsoever, <laughs> right? And and I mean, like, for real, so, like, you know, like, yeah. up to that point, Oviedo had been doing everything all right, right? Now, with the audios that co come out, there's one audio that comes out first, and they mention him as El Gordito, you know, the chubby <laughs> one. And they say, you know, yeah, our friend El Gordito, he's going to hook us up with uh, – or he's he's got those uh, those tickets for the World Cup, you know, for Russia, and then that that was it. I mean, they they didn't really mention his name. Maybe they said Edwin El Gordito, you know, Edwin the chubby one, but it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of correlation. So we're we're there's still a possibility that you know they're just like trying to be funny, you know. I mean, sometimes I call my friend, I tell him, hey, this is Pizza Hut. Like, of course, I mean, uh, nobody actually means it. There's that chance. That's what I was thinking up to that point, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I can call and be like, yeah, I'm I'm President Obama here, you know. And of course I'm not President <laughs> Obama, nor do I know the man. Then, as the weeks go by, and while I was gone from the podcast, here we have it, like you said, Peter, uh, where they're, they're not only mentioning him by name, Edwin Oviedo, right? They are there's recordings of him himself on the phone talking, right? right. And then he right. comes out very late. I mean, th these recordings came out what uh, almost a week, almost two weeks ago, and he barely comes out maybe three days ago. And he's you know, and he says, "Well, there's an explanation to all of this. I was helping the judge, the Supreme Court justice, because of course His Highness, uh, to get his fan ID, right?" And so the, the one of the one of the people that was interviewing says, "Well, okay, so do you, if I called you, will you help me with my fan ID? Can anyone call you and help you with help for help for with a fan ID? And obviously not. I mean, any <laughs> regular citizen, right? If they want to get a fan ID, had to go through the paperwork with FIFA and with the Russian consulate and whatnot. And and, you know, this guy is, just has Oviedo, literally the president of the Peruvian FA, one phone call away. Hey, hook me up with a fan ID. And now the, the biggest problem is that, that up until that point, fine, sure, okay. Uh, let's say Supreme Court justices should receive special treatment because of the role that they have. Sure, that's, that's fine. Um, but... Not only did he help him with his fan ID, it seems like Oviedo also hooked him up with tickets, mm -hmm. right? And he even released the list of all the courtesy tickets uh, that FIFA gave DFA to give out to, to the important people of Peru, and he's not on that list, right? So he so Oviedo found tickets somewhere else other than the official list, that were, other than the official tickets that were provided to him by FIFA to give out for these purposes, and he, so he found an extra ticket somewhere and, and was able to get this guy out, him and his wife, not only to the Peru games, but he also even attended the opening ceremonies, mm -hmm. right? So so this this is some serious stuff at this point. And, and so the motivation behind all of this, there is great speculation on the reason why was Oviedo doing all of this? Because... He was scared of what was going on with all these murder accusations, accusations, mm -hmm. and the fact that he could find, be found guilty. We don't know that case is inconclusive. It was it was filed, you know, they, not enough evidence, and uh, it was all baloney, and it's been way too long, anyways. So the statute of limitations have passed. So therefore, you know, he he walks free, right? But I mean, of course, I mean, if if I was being looked 
if, if, if there was a warrant for my arrest, of course I would be trying to be best friends with a judge. You know, like it, it no, makes sense no. why he was. Uh, okay, I'm not saying that I'm corrupt or anything. <laughs> and I don't have any problems with the law. But uh, of course it's convenient to have a friend that happens to be a judge, right? And what what better than a Supreme Court judge? You know, like, it's just it's just way too much coincidence, you know? All like, oh, we just met at a party. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, just, I just meet Supreme Court justices at a party. No big deal, you know? Um Honestly, this this is really hurting Peruvian football. And I mean, up until about two weeks ago, I was willing to disregard all of this mm-hmm. as just hearsay and speculation. And there there are many gorditos in Peru, so it could be any other gordito. But honestly, not not anymore. Uh, unfortunately, he's shown us that this corruption has made it not only through politics, not only through the judicial branch, which is a huge worry for society overall, but even to soccer, for heaven's sake. You know, this is this is sports. You know, this is we created soccer because of honor, you know, because of this sense of chivalry and this sense of, you know, I mean like if you ask the British that came up with the sport in the late 1800s, this this this, this is a, a huge corruption of, of their ideals for sure. Hundred percent. And on that topic that you mentioned in terms of, you know, being friends with Inostrosa and all this and that, obviously he had a lot of clout being a Supreme Court judge. That's pretty much the highest honor you can have in law. I'm not a law student, but I'm sure a lot of lawyers could back this up and say, yeah, I want yeah. that job. You kidding me? Um, now he was removed because of corruption, but before that, this is very interesting he actually passed a law or some sort of bill that prevented by law prosecutors investigating that murder case. Now this story ran, I want to say it was right as these audios were leaked, something Mm -hmm. like that. This somehow came to light. Maybe it was reported before, but I didn't see it. You can't tell me that those two aren't linked, right? So Inostrosa says, okay, I can prevent the prosecutors from looking into this as long as you give me some sort of a favor, this might've been that favor. And the fact that it's Inostrosa himself, the fact that it's mismanaging of, of funds, which obviously you don't want to see after what happened with Manuel Burga before Oviedo and obviously right. countless directors within the Federation beforehand. That's something you don't want to see. So I guess my final question to you then, before maybe we mm-hmm. dive into questions is what is the the worst optic, I guess we could call it, about this entire situation? Is it the fact that it is Inostrosa that he's doing this with, or is it just in general the the, the whole mismanagement of funds, the misuse of funds, um, or, or is it both to you? What, what do you think? Um, now, talking about money itself, in reality... Um, there was not much of, there's not much of a money scandal. Okay. As far as we can tell so far, uh, illegal money has not entered a federation and the money seems to have been used, uh, correctly. If if we think about the new Bidena, the new, uh, place that the federation is currently building, Mm -hmm. they're currently in cahoots with, with the Catholic church. Who's in whose land they're building this new complex? In Chaclacayo. Uh, in Chaclacayo, right? The new Chaclacayo complex. They they are putting the money to build the site, 
but the land itself is on a lease from the Catholic Church. So I I, I want to say that well uh, well we're not going to get into any Catholic Church conspiracy <laughs> theories here. Of course that that would be way too much. But I, I want to say that at least on the on the fiscal part of things, the money has been um, handled correctly. The issue really uh, is it's coming down to abuse of power, right? To me, that to me that is a great big issue. Uh, the abuse of power, the fact that he has access to all of this as a president of the EFA, and that he is using it for personal favors, for personal gain. This speaks very badly of his character and makes you wonder i mean what else what other kinds of favors could have been traded around um as for as for the other side i i wanted to point out what, what you just mentioned yeah like uh, a supreme court justice not only is it the, the greatest gig probably for a lawyer or for, for a judge to have but it's that when you're a supreme court justice you get to set precedent that everybody else has to follow exactly and that for society is an issue, right? And this is not the first time that Inostrosa and his team of homies would have done something like this, that could hurt the system uh, in in things that are way bigger than, than soccer. Um, but yeah, I, th I think to me, that's kind of like the, the two biggest issues of, of the whole ordeal. Yeah, I would agree as well. I mean, in general, the optics of anything like this is never good. You see it a lot in other federations, but that doesn't really excuse all the other. In fact, it doesn't excuse them at all for, for doing right. this, really, especially when it is, as you mentioned, for personal gain. In terms of the latest updates that have come out, uh, the advisory committee, the auditing and ethics committee, both of the FFA have resigned today. Uh, have been obtained from La Videna that could help settle this, basically proving you know, what happened, you know, finally proving essentially what the deal is. Um, there is going to be a meeting tomorrow involving Oviedo and the board of directors and Juan Carlos Olitas, the sporting director, for whatever reason, is now going to be speaking to the press about this. That's like, you know, I understand that he might obviously have some knowledge of what the president does, but how could he really possibly know about this? And the fact that he's going to be going out there with media asking questions, as they should, about the whole situation, I feel like putting Oblitas out there as kind of a scapegoat or some sort of a figurehead to basically take the brunt of this is really, really poor from Oviedo, especially when he only made one appearance two weeks after the fact that these audios were leaked, as you mentioned, Christopher. Um, it was on RPP, didn't really say a whole lot, continued to deny any wrongdoing, did this in countless press releases from the Federation. Um, ironically, the auditing and ethics committee were actually assigned to investigate Oviedo, as we mentioned off the air, and then they end up resigning. So take, take that what you will, I guess. Um, now in terms of the sporting side, we'll switch this over into what this means for really, I think the area that most people would care about. Um, as I mentioned, Gadeca's coming in on Thursday to talk to Olitas about re-signing with the Peruvian Federation as head coach. Now, this has been seen as a, a bit of a deterrent. My personal standpoint from this is, as long as 
Gareca's project is not affected, I feel he won't necessarily care all too much, especially when you look at the other potential candidates out there. Look at Argentina. They are a, a much bigger mess than what Peru is in, which takes a lot of doing, but so they are. Colombia, I can't really say because I don't necessarily know, but you have to go there. You got to implement your system, a new project. You got to start from scratch, whereas with Peru, he already has everything implemented. Um, do you think this has any sort of negative effect? And if so, why? I really do. First of all, because Gareca, as we know, is a serious man. He has made it clear that he is a man. He is a man of his word. Uh, when he commits to something, he sticks to it till the end. And so he has a great track record for keeping his word. And on the other side, the Peruvian Federation has a terrible track record for keeping their word. I mean, how many coaches have gone through through the Peruvian bench, really? I mean, uh, if you really think of the situation that we were before Gareca, it took us like, what, a year and a half to find a coach? Uh, to replace Sergio Marcarian. Uh, so, I mean, Sergio Marcarian leaves the national team, and here comes uh, the current Alianza Lima coach, uh, <laughs> Ben Gochea, as an interim. We'll see what he does. We don't know. And it was literally just like a placeholder. It's like, here, just do something with the team. And then he's in for about a year to 18 months. And then we finally get new elections. And we have FIFA gate and Burga leaves and Real comes and all, all of that. And we finally get Gareca. Uh, so if I was Gareca, like, honestly, what I have in mind is, okay, I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to do everything for Peru. I'm willing to commit. I'm willing to try new players. Get you guys ready for the Copa America. We have the next World Cup and all of that. But what guarantees that there's going to be job safety for me that there's going to be job stability right yeah in theory in theory like the the problem right now uh, when you said when you said that we're we're having a press conference tomorrow with oblitas and that oviedo shouldn't be sending oblitas out to do this i think it's a little misleading because honestly i don't think it's oviedo sending oblitas at all i think it's oblitas just like uh, I need to do something, right? Yeah. And, there, and we are like a chicken with no head. So I'm just going to set up my own press conference with whoever the people that are loyal to me are, right? And mm-hmm. we're going to try to get this sorted out. So basically, you have the president who is basically in hiding, Oviedo. You have Oblita trying to beg Gareca and try to show and prove to Gareca that, that there is going to be some some kind of insurance here that his project is going to be safe, safeguarded. And then you have two committees that have disappeared at a board of directors that we don't know how they're going to react. And on top of that, the person that seems to be the candidate uh, to replace Oviedo if the board of directors decides to remove Oviedo doesn't seem to have that great of a reputation either. Mm-hmm. So, so the the Peruvian FA currently is is split into is is in a sort of civil war and really split into different factions, uh, and to to what uh, trying to all, all of them trying to decide really like what the way to go should be, uh, and so yes, I think that 
that that is part of the problem, right? I mean, when everybody's trying to row different ways, then the boat goes nowhere. And really, that's that can potentially, maybe not right now, maybe we wouldn't see the effects of all of it next month, but with time, a year or two later, it could it could hurt the progress that we have made um, in the more you know sports uh, sense or in the more and the more important thing, which is the team. It could it could deeply hurt them. Yeah, and I think I should clarify as well. Yeah, it's not so much Oviedo sending out Oblitas. It's that Oblitas sees like my God, like this is a PR nightmare. We we need to at least do something. And kudos to him for actually volunteering to do this, um, even though I'm sure he might not be able to necessarily provide the answers that the media and the fans want. But at least he can help write the ship in some way, at least from a PR standpoint. Um, in terms of Gadeka and what this could do, I'll have a follow-up point on this as well. I think that Gadeka would not be so willing, at least according to what these reporters are saying, these reputable reporters are saying, so willing to come back if he didn't speak to Oblitas before and if Oblitas didn't maybe have a conversation with Gadeka in the build-up to this. Now, of course, a lot has happened, I'm sure, over the past couple days alone that could maybe deter him a little bit. But listen, Oblitas gave his word a few days ago to the press that, you know, I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that he stays. I'm going to make promises to Gareca that is going to convince him to stay. And basically everything that Oblitas has, has touched has turned to gold so far. Um, which brings me to my next point, actually. This entire debacle, I think, proves that everything that has gone right with the Federation is all down to Oblitas, Gareca, and the sporting side of the Federation. Look at the new National Training Center opening in Chaclacayo that you mentioned. That was requested by Olitas and also by Gareca. Gareca wasn't actually satisfied with the facilities at La Videna. He thinks that the players should be able to have comfortable rooms, uh, should be able to be, you know, basically have enough living space. They shouldn't have to drive from their homes to the, the center. They should just be able to live there the whole time that they are training. Um, Olitas obviously pushing for this as well. You've got nationwide scouting networks, regional training centers, which was also uh, implemented with the help of Daniel Ahmed as well. So yes, Olitas has to sign off on this. So do the directors credit to him for at least doing that. Um, but I think you can kind of see that it's these two guys who have really helped the Federation as opposed to the president, which I think a lot of us maybe thought was, was not the case. Um, so I think that they do deserve credit for this, no matter what happens at the end of the day. And I think I'm, as I'm hearing you, you are changing my mind and you're, you're helping me see things here too. I, I think, I think there is some, some validity to your point. Uh, that maybe Oviedo was not as important as we thought he was. Uh, and I can almost also see a scenario where where all of this uh, change that needs to happen from the Peruvian Federation or in the Peruvian Federation happens uh, with uh, happens from Gareca and from Oblitas. 
which usually change happens the other way around. You know, you have a new president, a board of directors, someone wants to work, they hire a good coach and so forth. Mm-hmm. But because Peru is such a special place, as we know, <laughs> we can potentially see something where the coach somehow uh, irradiates this this uh, order and, and this willingness to work that then translates into the rest of the organization uh, organizing itself because that, that, that's what we need. We need more, we need more seriousness. We need more organization. Uh, we need better planning and we, we need stuff like this uh, not to happen anymore. And I can kind of see that I can see maybe, you know, like let's say Obiela leaves, let's say, uh, you know, the vice president has the sensibility of calling for le- new elections. And then, you know, someone else coming in and saying, you know, I'm not going to try to, you know, try to be in the, limelight at all. I'm just going to take a step back and I'm going to let Gareca and Oblitas continue on with this. Um, and and that, yeah, I mean, that, that could be all very interesting. And, uh, you know, it makes me think that there is maybe more hope than what I initially thought um, when we started this podcast. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not necessarily on one side or the other, I guess, in terms mm-hmm. of whether or not he's going to stay uh, or, or leave. I would, but if I had to pick a side, I'd probably lean more towards staying just because everything that you read out there, despite everything that's happened, because even when Gadeka came out and these were, I guess not Gadeka, but the reporters came out and said Gadeka is leaning towards staying, even while all these audios were being leaked, some of which were pretty bad, that kind of made you think, okay, well, you know, is it really that important that Oviedo is is there or not? Obviously, from the PR standpoint and the distraction, which I'm sure Gadeca does not want, it's important. But in terms of him as a, as a president, is it important? I'm not so sure, especially when you have a president who's willing to just kind of give power to the sporting director, which is what is supposed to be the case. Right. Sporting directors have control over the sporting side of the federation. And when you look at all these major... Uh, footballing countries, really, you hear more from the sporting director and read more about the sporting director than you do the actual president. And that's kind of the way it's supposed to be. So I think as long as Oblitas is there and he's kind of, you know, running things and has the power that he needs, that's what's important. But I still do think that Oviedo does have to resign. There's no question about it. Uh, Before we kind of run off the straight and narrow here, let's get Mm -hmm. into some questions, um, which might maybe be able to be a nice way to wrap this up in a tidy little mm-hmm. bow. So mm-hmm. our first question is from Luis Aguayo at Louis, uh, El Aguayo 98. And he asked, I'm not 100% familiar with how the FFAFA is run. Maybe you can explain. But couldn't a commission or a board of directors vote to remove Oviedo, just like an organization? At this point, it seems like he is not likely to step down. So what are the options? Um, well, I guess Christopher kind of mentioned it. So Christopher, you want to elaborate mm-hmm. a little more? You may. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, so the process for picking a new president and the voting members of of the association are the twenty five departmental heads, which represent each one of the regions of Peru, right? And also the sixteen clubs uh, that are part of the first division. And so, all of them together have uh, are the ones that decide uh, who the president should be and if I'm not mistaken, even a smaller group within that group 
uh, are is the board of directors of the Peruvian Federation. Uh, and so, yes, there is there there is a board of directors, and they do have the power to remove Oviedo. Uh, other than that, these other committees that we have been talking about, especially this uh, consulting committee. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, might have even been an invention of Oviedo or something fairly recent. They themselves didn't actually have any power, but the the media seems to 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 think that they were actually part of also key to the success that Peru has seen in the last years. So it looks like whatever advice they were handing to the president um, seems to have been working. So there was a few people in the media, uh, different interviews and things that I heard. Uh, where where they were actually sad that we that that this consulting committee was uh, disappearing also because they seem to have been doing a good job. Now, if you really want to get political, uh, I have the feeling that the president of the consulting committee might even be the reason why he might have dissolved the committee was because he might be thinking about replacing Oviedo in a possible future election. And he and Oviedo, his name is uh, Felipe Cantuarias, uh, are close friends actually, and they, he's also a businessman, and he's kind of done kind of a similar career to Oviedo. But as far as we know, he has he's not being accused of killing anyone. So that would be <laughs> you think that that would be so obvious, right? Have you killed a person? Have you attempted? I have to not. Person? I no. Have not. Okay, you're good to go. You see? You see how easy that is? This, you think that we would get it? Uh. No. But anyways, so that's that's kind of how the the bare bones of how the Peruvian FA works. But then again, because they're a private corporation, they're not part of the government. They do not receive any government funds. Then they have a lot of power to kind of do as they wish. And, and also because of that, they're not required to be fully transparent, uh, you know, and, and kind of really report to us or, you know, like the fans and the public and so forth. So so it is a little mysterious, you know, uh, it's not very clear how things really happen inside uh, closed doors. And actually one more point, now that I just mentioned closed doors, the Videna itself was closed down by the local municipality. Mm -hmm because they had not been paying their, their taxes and their licensing fees and whatever not. So uh, um, what's it called? Um, Oblicas is going to be having his press conference in a hotel somewhere in Lima. He can't have it at the official offices of the Federation because, I mean, with all of this mess, nobody paid the bills. It's just, just, just to, just so that our, our listeners get a taste of what, how big of a mess this is, really. It, it's classic South America, really. Like th that's all you need is unpaid taxes and a and a facility closing down. Like that wraps it up so nicely. You mentioned the potential candidates, Christopher. Uh, mm -hmm. That leads beautifully into our next question from Abel Gamarra at Abelanda eighty one, asking if Oviedo does the right thing and steps away from the presidency. Who is your pick to become the new president once new elections take place? Um, caveat before maybe you give your answer. The mm -hmm. current vice president is running for mayoral office. So therefore he is not eligible in the FFA elections, which will happen next year. So Christopher, is there any other candidate that you didn't mention that you think maybe has a, a, a shot here at winning the presidency? 
Yes, there's a, there's a few people that are very involved uh, in, in these kind of um, political spheres that are part of the sport. Freddy Ames is a, is a name that is thrown around a lot. Uh, and also someone that is a little too active on Twitter for, for my liking, but <laughs> I, was, I, I think it's Agustin Lozano. I might be getting it wrong. But basically, the, the current president of the, the Segunda División uh is a possible candidate uh and he has a lot of interesting opinions in my in my opinion <laughs> but uh honestly we could see anyone i think i mean oviedo was basically an outsider right mm -hmm. but anyone that's had a pretty decent uh, but like oviedo had a decent record actually with juan Aurich going from you know a team that that was historically a great team in peru but that was basically nowhere in Copa Peru to, you know, in what, about 10 years winning the first division tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's a great story right there. So uh, I can see, you know, any anyone that kind of has a similar story kind of becoming an outsider and, and going through, mostly because I think we can all agree that we are tired of the career guys. The current politicians. So Freddy Ames and Agustin Lozano, their names are always going to be floating around there. The uh, Uturburu, the president of the uh, of the first division, could probably possibly also be a candidate. But I honestly would expect someone more local that we probably haven't heard of that might come from one of the presidencies of the of the regional leagues, who might step up and uh, and uh, you know be the next president. All right. You are on fire today. This is why it's always a positive to have a political science student on the show. You can just hand off these complex issues to him or her. Um, so we'll wrap this up now with a sporting question. Uh, question from Robbie C at BNCEO asking, if Gareca comes back, does a disaster at Copa America cost him his job or is the leash long until at minimum 2021. So just to give you a break, Christopher, I can take this one to start right. with. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> so I definitely think he has a long leash. I think he's pretty much been granted immunity for the rest of time, at least when it comes to Peru. I doubt he has had to pay for a ceviche or a service <laughs> since he has taken the team to a World Cup. Um, so even if, let's say, they don't do well at Copa America, which they have done for the past few editions, um, expect him to bring maybe more of a younger team just to see which youngsters could probably come in later on. Um, that being said, though, there is a Copa America in 2020 in the United States, much like what we saw in 2016. So maybe that is the tournament Gareca or the new coach, whoever it happens to be, looks at as a way to get young players into the, into the team. Um, and maybe he'll try to win the actual Copa America, the real Copa America, mind you, with Qatar and, and Japan, but I digress, to win that tournament or at least go far in that tournament. And you have to believe that if Gadeca is still there, Peru is kind of a, a, I wouldn't say a favorite, but certainly one of those like tier two favorites, let's say. Like outside of your of your Brazil, or I guess if you even want to throw in Colombia in there, I wouldn't really put Argentina in there, but outside of those two teams, maybe, Peru's in that conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I totally don't think that he would be in trouble at all, even if the Copa America goes wrong next year, assuming he gets the job. Um, and he will have 
pretty good job security, you would imagine, for the entirety of the cycle. Uh, if you disagree with me, Christopher, go ahead. If you agree with me, you know, again, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> either way, go ahead. Uh, so, so I do not disagree with you. I think that the strategy on uh, how you play a Copa America and how to make it far in a Copa America tournament is uh, it's quite different from anything else. Really, quite different from the World Cup, even quite different from qualifiers. And I think that Peru, in general, has learned how to how to do that well. Uh, I my expectations are high. I am ambitious. I think that a Copa America is not out of our reach if we play our cards right. That is, I mean, if we can get a team together and if things, you know, work just uh, just the right way. Personally, I think 2011. Uh, man, we, I honestly think 2011 we we could have been in the finals. You know, we yeah. had not seen Uruguay in the semifinals. The other two semifinalists were Paraguay and Venezuela. Mm-hmm. We we could have we could have taken them in in their sleep honestly yeah. we could have been in that final easy but anyways uh, I digress I, I said in another pod and I think it was one of my more memorable quotes that uh, that Gareca has thirty six years of credit yeah uh, so yeah. and by that time he's gonna be like ninety five so <laughs> I th- <laughs> no I can that's an exaggeration but yeah but no. No, even even if we had a bad Copa America, Carica would stay on. I I think he's a man of his word, and I think he's shown proven results over time, right? So even if he has a bad Copa America, I think he could still deliver something great at the end of his next term if he decides to take it. Right, and actually, you weren't that far off with the age. He's currently sixty, so in thirty-six years, he'd be ninety-six. Um, hey, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, you were pretty much bang on there. Um, so let's move on to the Decentralizado. Let's talk about some actual football here. Um, and we will start with, actually, Christopher. Th- again, we, th- this has lined up so so nicely. We've got a political science student, and we've got someone from Juarez on, on the show as well. Because oh, Rosario, despite the four-point deduction for not making financial obligations, whatever that means. Um, mm-hmm. They are currently tied atop the table. Now, they lost to Ayacucho today 2-0 um, after rotating their side slightly. But they pummeled Universitario, which I guess isn't that big of an accomplishment these days. But they still did it. Um, right. They are now on 16 points. Despite losing all their players, I mean, Brian and I talked about this last week along with Michelle too. Um, despite losing all their players, all these issues – they're still on top of the table in the apertura. So my question to you is, I, I mean, we kind of got the answer last week, but how do they keep doing this, losing <laughs> these key players, dealing with all these issues, mm-hmm. and yet they still keep winning matches and keeping themselves in contention for, at the very least, a Sudamericana spot? It's First of all, it's because we're Juarezinos. Okay? There you go. No, just, just kidding. And that's it. No, just kidding. And I rest my case. Just kidding. Um, okay, well, so so let's go back to the very beginning of the year, actually. I, I, I had the privilege of writing the piece for the site regarding what I thought their season would look like. And to me, the biggest problem that Rosario was having at the time was that from the, the top half of the team needed to be reinforced, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a genius, but I think I pretty much hit it on the, on, on the head. Because uh, that's exactly what the team, what the team leaders did. That's exactly what the team president did. He bought, 
Christopher Canchita, uh, what's his last name? Uh, Christopher Gonzalez. Christopher Gonzalez. Yeah. Christopher Gonzalez. We had a yeah. We had uh, Robinson that literally played like you know like maybe one game, maybe like two half games. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, those are big names up front, right? right? That that's what we did. I mean, that that's what we needed. Uh, and now that they're gone, first of all, the club is saving themselves a lot of money because obviously they were they were in financial troubles and they couldn't keep paying such high salaries. Mm-hmm. I think obviously what they expected was to have a better uh, Sudamericana run that would allow them to get the funds to keep, continue to pay for these players. Mm-hmm. And obviously after having such a poor performance in Sudamericana, uh, then they could no longer afford them, but they were stuck with them because they had signed a contract, and then you get into all this trouble. But now all the forwards being gone, well, the the bottom half of the team still remains, with of course with exception of our goalie. So it is in that it is in that that position, those few key midfielders, and especially a, a pretty solid defense in my defense, which continue continues. Uh, this all of this resiliency, the, which is the reason why the team is so resilient, uh, and why even though they were deducted so many points, they were still on top. Not only that, but let, we have to be honest. Uh, Alianza Lima had a terrible, terrible game against Melgar, mm-hmm. and at the same time, Cristal was unable to beat uh, Utese, mm-hmm. and so that that really helped. That really helped because we got deducted four points, but then Cristal lost three. I mean, Cristal lost two, and Alianza Lima lost three. So, I mean, it was pretty much like things really just even themselves out. Um, now, what is worrying is that now they have played, you know, all their games, and I believe we are sitting at, at what, like 12 games, and Alianza Lima and Cristal are still sitting at 10. Uh, yeah, it's so, 10 games for Sport Rosario. It's eight games for Cristal and Alianza. All right, so I, I got my number of games wrong, but it's yeah, yeah but the, we're, we're two get two games ahead of them, and that's the issue right there mm-hmm. because the, we now know that, that this this reign may be short lived unless again we get lucky, we cross our fingers, you know, and we pray for rain yeah. and, and something happens. But to me, the, to me, that's the reason why the team is doing so well. I think that if, you know, like, yes, the forwards left, I was worried. But if I had heard that more of the defenders and more of the midfielders had left, then I would have really, really started worrying. But as those guys are still there, I think Rosario is still going to continue to maintain itself in the top half of the table. And what is interesting to me as well, they actually have a decent run-in coming up. They got Huancayo at home in their next game on Sunday. Then they got Binacional away. They host mm-hmm. Union Comercio and then face uh, Sport Boys before closing out the apertura against Sporting Cristal. That's going to be a heck of a game, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of them, I was looking at some underlying numbers because I kind of wanted to see really in detail, having watched Sport Rosario very closely these past few weeks, exactly how they're doing this. Obviously, you mentioned their defense. They're very defensively stingy. They kept that spine intact with the midfield and the back line. But I kind of wondered, okay, will their attack suffer in some way? Uh, They obviously got that big set-piece goal uh, the other night to win 1-0. I believe it was against San Martin. I could be wrong. Um, Now, I look at their expected goals 
And to those who don't know, I, I've spoken about expected goals a couple times on the show, but what it is is an analytic that is used to determine the quality of a shot. So it's given a numerical number. It's anywhere from 0.1 to 0.9, which basically indicates a percentage. Um, so obviously the closer it is to the goal, um, if you shoot it with your dominant foot, the better the chances of that becoming a goal. It's based on basically 10,000 previous examples of similar shots with similar body parts and similar locations. And so just as a bit of a background, Sport Rosario have scored 39 goals this season in actuality. Their expected goals is 27. So they're, in other words, they're expected to only score 27 goals, yet they've actually put away 39. And what this says is they're, first of all, they're incredibly clinical because they're, you know, hitting low percentage shots and they're going in. And second of all, they're probably going to regress to the mean a little bit from the looks of it. Now their expected goals allowed is 33. Their actual goals allowed is 31. So they're right in line defensively. It's offensively where they might regress a little bit and then maybe might start sliding down the table a little bit. But again, they've been doing this pretty much the entire season and yet here they are. And sometimes that is the great thing or also the worst thing about stats and analytics is that even though it seems logical, football and sport in general is just completely random. And these things can happen. Look at Leicester city winning the premier league, for example, or Peru making the world cup. Amen. Um, Amen. These, these things happen, right? So maybe sport Rosario will completely defy the numbers and end up getting into like say a top five, top six spot, maybe even get a Libertadores spot. Who knows? Um, on this subject, while we're talking about the top of the table, Christopher, which of the teams sort of in that top five, top six worries you the most as someone who closely follows Sport Rosario? To me, it, it's probably Sporting Cristal because of the games in hand, because they've got the best striker in the league. And just because no matter who they seem to face, they can come at you a bunch of different ways and beat you. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would agree with that 100%. And I, I honestly don't think there's much to, to add to that. I think that Cristal is a serious contender um, for this tournament and for the whole for the whole tournament, for this year's uh, tournament overall. Uh, other than that, um, I think Melgar is also always a serious contender. Uh, Alianza Lima, maybe, uh, but maybe those would be like my top three, you know, with Cristal first, Melgar second, and uh, fairly close Alianza Lima. Okay. I, I'd probably agree with that too. They actually have Sporting Cristal a, a bit of an interesting run in these next few weeks as well. They got San Martin uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday afternoon. At 1.15 p.m. local time. Then they face Lau, Cantolao, Ayacucho, Huancayo, uh, Binacional, and then, as I mentioned, close out with Sport Rosario. So a couple of those games you would imagine are winnable. If they get a couple of those games in hand, they pretty much go, what, I guess that'd be four points up on Sport Rosario, assuming they also don't keep pace. Uh, it's going to be interesting, mm -hmm. though, must be said. Uh, just to wrap this up before we get into our only question on the Decentralizado, which team worries you the most? Um, maybe taking Universitario out of it because we pretty much talked about them at length all season long. So besides them, which of the teams at the moment 
has you th- wondering like, oh, are, are they really going to be okay over these next few weeks? Oh, that is, okay. I think that's a good question. I'm, I'm debating between Sport Boys and as well uh, San Martin because San Martin has really gone downhill over the past few weeks. I know they have a young squad. Pretty much nine or ten of their starting 11 is an under-23 team. Um, so the fact that they started off so well was pretty amazing. But, you know, that's kind of the – that's both the blessing and the curse of playing a young team, right? You're going to have those highs and you're going to have those lows because – they're trying to find that consistency, right? That's their their last sort of trait of their development that they have to hone. And that is just getting it consistently right. But Sport Boys, I mean, you said it before the season, actually, Christopher. They're very Luis Tejada dependent. And these days, they're also very Manuel Tejada dependent as well. So they're completely Tejada dependent. Um, so, like, in more ways right. than one. So, I mean, that, yeah. that's why it's so conflicting for me and why I can't really decide between one of the two, but I feel like Sport Boys has been talked about and San Martin have kind of gone downhill. So I'd say for them, it's a bit of a worrying concern, especially with Cristal coming up tomorrow and then two winnable games in Universitario and Cantolao after that. If they struggle in either of those games, then I will probably start to maybe hit the panic button a little bit. Yeah, I think the one that worries me the most is probably Sport Boys. Um, just because uh, also on the financial aspect, they, things, thing, things seem to be a little bit tough. It's true. Uh, and things haven't been uh, as well as they expected them to. And uh, I mean, Sport Boys has this, like, this problem year after year after year. I think it, this, is, this has to be the second, maybe even third time where we're seeing Sport Boys come back to the first division, just struggle, you know, almost pulling teeth you know, and, and then falling back to the second division and trying to make their way up again. Um, and so I think as a historic team for Peru, I think they worry me. I think that the Tejada dependency is real. Uh, Universidad San Martin has Aquiloba, and maybe they're, they're not as, well, maybe they are as dependent of Loba uh, as the Sport Boys is uh, dependent of both the Tejadas. Right. Tejadas. Um, but I don't know. I, I think I trust Akelova to uh, get him in get him in there more than I do Sport Boys in general. <laughs> so I think that San Martin in general might be uh, a bit safer. I mean, other than that, you also have the, the other clubs that are your perennial uh, low in the table. Uh, Union Comercio and Ayacucho, which have had for a few years now pretty poor campaigns, yeah. Um, yeah. and who might save, you know, Universitario from relegation. True, very true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I think at this point, I think at this point, it's pretty clear that the Comerciantes Unidos, having left their hometown, has hurt them a lot. And I think that it would take a miracle at this point uh, if they do not return to Cuterbo for them to uh, save themselves from relegation. And then Universitario has, they have to start praying hard that, you know, that Ayacucho and Union Comercio somehow finally fall through and get relegated so that they will be saved. Um, but I guess those teams are always known for being fairly mediocre. So yeah. if there's a real worry, 
Sport Boy San Martin, and maybe even Cantolao. Maybe even Cantolao. Yeah, possible. They're only, but I think they're only a point or two up on both of those teams in the aggregate table, mm-hmm. so they can maybe get dragged into it as well. In terms of the Tejada dependency, here's a just a stat that says it all. Okay. Sport Boys have scored 29 goals this season across mm-hmm. the Torneo de Verano and is obviously the Apertura so far. Tejada has scored 10 of those goals. Um, like we're talking more than a third of their total output. And mm-hmm. he's actually on pace. Mind you, this could decline because Sport Boys, I feel, is a, in terms of overall quality, a worse team than what Lau was last year. He's actually on pace, Tejada, to score more goals for Sport Boys than he did for Lau a season ago. So that kind of wow. goes to show you just how integral he is to that attack in general. Um, so let's wrap up the show with, I, I actually quite like this question, um, from Robbie C at BNCEO asking us, has the Peruvian first division ever had a Leicester city type of champion? Simply, hmm. um, you could say, yes, I guess Juan Audich, as you mentioned earlier, mind you, that mm-hmm. was 10 years in the making. They had some time. The first team that came to mind for me, Christopher, and maybe you would agree with this or have another example was okay. San Martin winning back-to-back titles in like the oh. mid 2000s. Um, yes. Like mm-hmm. three, four years after getting founded. Um, and then what they qualified for the Sudamericana 2006. They were founded 2004, I believe. Right. Uh, and then 2007, right. they won the first of their two titles. So yeah, I would say I mean, that's pretty remarkable. It's, it's a team that didn't exist. Literally, yeah. very literally. They, they bought the right to play in the first division back when that was allowed. I right. feel, you know, back back then, they bought their right from the team that should have been uh, promoted, and they just created a team out of whole cloth, which is part of the reason why San Martin doesn't have, uh, other than the Muela, doesn't have any followers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but yes, they had a really, they had, they, they made a lot of signings back then. I, I think to me, to me, San Martin, they're known more as a team that uh, works with youth now. Very. But yeah. but it, back in their day, they actually did have a lot, would, would buy a lot of players and, you know, more more uh, experienced players and what, what not. And, yeah, they won back-to-back, and then they, they come back, they you skip a year, and they win again in 2010. Yes, that's I right. Think someone that could have matched that was Real Garcilaso. Real Garcilaso has been really close to matching that, but, of course, they're the perennial runner-ups. Mm-hmm. The eternal second place finishers, uh, and I think that if Real Garcilaso had done it, their story would even be even more remarkable because they did start as just some random little club in Cusco, so not even in Lima, but in yeah. Cusco that you know not only not only uh, won the Copa Peru, had a great Copa Libertadores tournament, and if they had won all the finals that they have been in, they, they would have as many finals as San Martin. They would have as many titles as San Martin at this point. So I think that would have been very impressive. Um, I'm, but I think, I think that San Martin is probably our Leicester city of the modern day, yeah. modern game. If you really want to go to the beginning of Peruvian football, oh, man. way to the very beginning... And you can say that Alianza Lima was also a team that, you know, a bunch of uh, African Peruvian young men that started a team and then they won the first season they ever played in. And uh, well, Universitario too had a similar story. But anyways, I mean, that's this really going back 
that's really going back to the 1920s and 1930s. So yeah. 100%. And I'll kind of throw you one additional bonus too, uh, sure. Robbie. 2003, Copa Sudamericana, Cienciano winning the tournament. Like when has a Peruvian team ever, <laughs> ever, won ever made it to a knockout stage of a, of a continental tournament? Like, come on. The fact that they right. won, I know that they had the elevation and everything and people will bring them up, but my God, they were amazing. In that. I mean, they knocked off some giants, right? And in right. terms of San Martin, um, Christian Cueva was on, the, I believe, the 2010 team. They had mm -hmm. Leo Butron when he was getting called yes. up to Peru when they won the mm -hmm. first, the back-to-back -back titles. I believe Hernan Ranjifo was on that team too. There's um, some teams. Like there was, like they, they had a good team. Look up the rosters really. I think it's on Wikipedia. Um, they got some really good players. And of course that's the Enciano team too. If you have the time, look it up because that was a great story. In fact, Brian, to those of you who speak Spanish uh, or understand Spanish, Brian actually has an interview with their former goalkeeper, Oscar Ibanez, uh, talking about the tournament and their run to the final and winning it and sort of the details about that. It was a really intriguing interview. So check it out on the Peruvian Waltz YouTube page. To those that do say that the only reason why Cienciano won because it was because they play in you know high altitude cities. First of all, they weren't playing in Cusco. They were playing Arequipa, which is slightly lower uh, than Cusco. But second of all, the fact that in those days, the Recopa Sudamericana, the Super Cup mm -hmm. that they played in the next year, was not in South America at all. It was in Miami. Right. And they right. beat Boca Juniors, the Libertadores champions. That's so, true. Anyway, so that right there tells you that that team, they beat River in the final of Sudamericana, and then they go to Miami, place that they never been to, against the team that is the champion of South America, and still beat, I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, amazing story. Amazing yeah. story. Yeah. And like 50 times the budget of Cienciano too. So, I mean, even yeah. more impressive. Uh, which, yeah. again, kind of, I know that Leicester has the Premier League finances and whatnot, but, you know, it, it's still somewhat comparable in a way. So mm -hmm. I guess that'll do it. Um, what an episode that was. Thank God for yeah. being here. Otherwise, <laughs> we would have been floundering like you wouldn't believe. So thank you, Christopher. Um, with that, you may... Give us your Twitter, and you can also give a shout-out to your beloved Sport Ancash as well. Yes, yes, this is becoming a thing, because Sport Ancash this week beat their the team that they were playing, whose name I don't even remember because it doesn't matter, but they beat them 12-0. Yes, you heard that right. 12 goals to zero, my friends. So we are this close, very, very close, to uh, reaching the national stage of the Copa, Copa Peru. So shout-out to them. They're always in my heart. I and mean, this is technically green, <laughs> which is Borankash colors. Uh, and so my, my Twitter handle is V-I-Z underscore F-C. Yeah, that's going to become a regular segment, I think, to end the show. Just you giving us updates on Sport Ankash. It's, it's, it's quite nice. I, I, I like seeing that passion, Christopher. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you can follow me at GalindoPW. You can follow the show at Peru Waltz. Do not forget to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud. And if you have an iPhone and you listen to us on iTunes, please leave us a five-star review and a review in general, just telling us what you like about the show and any potential improvements we could make because uh, we're always interested in feedback. Until next week, we are signing off.
Chale mi fring y cubillas y el gran pericoleón, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.